0: You can force someone into doing an activity, but it's not play for them. They may be doing it, but it's not play. You know, um, you can't coerce someone into playing. You know, they're, they're you may be playing, but they're not playing. You know, they may be doing the motions and stuff like that. So the first thing that I do is I invite people into the space.
1: Welcome to the Creative Tax Podcast. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artists, makers, and content creators where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at MikeBone or on my website, which is MikeBrennan.me. Hey, I'd love for you to stop by DailyCreativeHabit.com. I've created several resources with you in mind as a creative person. First, there's a link to our free private Facebook group, Called Daily creative habit. It is filled with creatives of all types who have raised their hands to say I want to show up more consistently for my creativity and craft. And so if that's you, we would love to see you as part of this group. There's also a link to receive our free daily creative habit email newsletter. This goes out twice a week and is filled with resources and inspiration and daily prompts for you as a creative person to make sure that you keep showing up every single day for your creativity. And lastly, there's a link out to the new Daily Creative Habit Guided Creativity Journal. And this is something that I'm really excited about because it's a 90-day journey that you can go on that guides you to plan and show up for your creativity and help you track and help you measure and figure out exactly what it is that you want to do and how you want to do it. This is available right now through Amazon.com. Hey, have you ever thought about play? Now, most of us think about play in terms of maybe a reward after we've done something, and we think of it often as a luxury, not a necessity. Well, today's guest, Gary Ware, is a speaker. He has written the book, literally, on play, and we get a chance to talk about where play has come back into his life, how he connects it with improv, and how he goes into organizations and corporations and speaks at conferences about the theme of play. And it's a great conversation we have, so I know you're gonna enjoy it. Sit back, take some notes, and get ready for my creative chat with Gary Ware. Well, Gary, welcome to the Creative Chats podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. This is gonna be really fun. It is, Mike. Thank you so much uh, for having me on. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we were just talking before recording. Um, We've kind of been in each other's orbit via social media. Don't really know how we we discovered each other, but somehow through the magic of connections and interests and overlaps, Somewhere along the way, we're like, hey, that seems like a person I should be connected to. So I'm glad that today we actually get to take this connection into a a deeper level. And uh, I'm excited to explore your story and your journey and talk about play today of all things. So uh, this is going to be amazing. So before we dive into all that stuff, all the good stuff, uh, can you just let us know, like, who are you? What do you do?
0: Yeah. All right. So my name is uh, Gary. I am a facilitator. I'm a coach, public speaker author, uh, dad, uh, husband, wear so many hats. Um, And the thing that I currently do, hence why we're having this conversation, I bring the power of play and applied improvisation um, as a transformation tool, you know, to help individuals and teams do so many different things, Um, you know, connect on a deeper level, um, help people sort of level up uh, these human skills that are so challenging to master and you know at the end of the day bring more joy and
1: more smiles yeah love it love it so how did you know that this was a thing right because it's like (laughs) i think most people think play it's like well yeah that's nice like play is the reward after you've done the hard work maybe agreed um Mm -hmm. and play seems frivolous and silly and just kind of like for kids so like how would you even know that this was something that you could actually do as a career yeah a lot of accidental
0: sort of discoveries this isn't anything that i set out to do i you know i didn't you know put that on my career map to say oh you know what i want to be a trainer and yada 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 it was by accident um i my background's actually in marketing communication that's what i went to school for and i found myself in this position where like most adults, yeah, burning myself out. Um, and by again, by accident, um, I took this improv class. So I don't have a um a background in theater. It's not something I did when I was younger. I did it as a way to get better at public speaking. I mentor of mine said, Hey, I think you might um get a lot of value from this. And I took that improv class and it just blew me wide open. In that again, my outcome was to get better at public speaking, but the path that we went down in these classes were pure play, pure fun. And yeah, something inside of me awoken and was like, why am I not doing more of this? Like you said, why am I pushing play down the road as uh, you know, as this goalpost that I can only do once the work is done. And let's be honest, the work is never done. Right. And so over time I, you know, started incorporating this stuff uh, with my team and I was known as the improv guy. And then as I got even more curious about it, I realized that it wasn't just improv. Improv was just one avenue, but it was play. And the Mm -hmm. thing that really uh, changed my perspective is I read this book by Dr. Stuart Brown called Play. And Dr. Stuart Brown talks about how adults are suffering from play deprivation, because just like what you mentioned, um, as we get older, we forget that play is something that we are wired to do and we set it aside and so that was the start of me going down this journey of as my friend jeff harry says rediscovering my play
1: Mm. yes love that love that there's and there's a certain amount of like it's the seriousness of play that we're talking about today right exactly (laughs) yes um because there is value there is merit to this this isn't silliness this isn't just wasted time um but it's actually doing something to us and for us and um I love that. I love that. So when you encountered this this improv class right in your like, give us a little snapshot of of you. Where are you in life in this? And like, are you at a place where you're looking for the next iteration of something? You're maybe at odds with something where you're like, you know, I've done this. I've kind of hit the ceiling or maybe you're just like, this isn't working anymore. I need something completely new. Like, was there any of that that was feeding into this um speaking more and then specifically leading into this class yes so um no
0: this formulation of me didn't happen till five more years down the road okay um five or six more years down the road but it was the start it was almost like if this was a movie this was the foreshadowing of something bigger because Mm -hmm. i got obsessed with improv because it was so much fun. And that's, again, the beauty of playing playfulness. It's inherently pleasurable. Like it's something mm-hmm. that brings joy. Um, and I saw the the benefits of how it can help us come together. We were doing these exercises and activities that are designed to help people be able to speak on a stage um, and sort of think on your feet without a script and all these other things. And I was like, oh, this would be great for my team to help them uh, collaborate better. And so again, I would bring these activities to my team, not knowing how powerful it was. It was just something that was fun for me. And I was just so excited about it. (laughs) And then I quickly being was known in my various circles as the improv guy, you know, and I told people, I said, I personally love performing on stage. Like it was something that woken up with me. I, I, Um, Back in high school, I was in band and so I performed a lot of bands. So that sort of aspect of performance uh, was relit for me. And I said that part was that's for me. That's my sort of uh, play and hobby and release. But these activities that we're doing, there's something awesome about them, you know, that that is, I call it the Trojan horse. And I told people, I said, do it for that. And I, in my circles, I was known as the improv guy. And so I would bring these activities to um i would bring in them to conferences people ask hey do you mind doing a breakout where you bring some of these improv games because you speak so highly of it and everyone who does it ends up like beaming from ear to ear it's so much fun and yada 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 and then so that was just something i just did for fun and that sort of curiosity and discovery led me to understanding that it was called applied improvisation. So what I was doing was taking improv techniques and using it in other contexts. So then I was like, Oh, there's a whole world of this. So then I deep dove into that. And like I said, that brought me onto the topic of, of play. Cause I thought improv was the thing I said, mm-hmm. everyone needs improv. And what I Didn't realize that I know now it's everyone, um, you know, needs um, this sense of play, because as you mentioned, it's very serious stuff where in this low stakes environment, we can do so many, so many powerful things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And if anybody's listening right now and they're thinking to themselves, okay, improv, like that makes me think like comedy night, open mic night kind of thing. Right. Um, Maybe it's whose line is it anyway? Right. Mm -hmm. That TV show where it's like, okay, I have these props. I have these things I'm feeding off of the other people. Right. Like at the core, I've heard, you know, uh, it it said that it's yes. And is really um, what improv is about. And so it's possibility. Right. Yes. Um. Is there like a, a short little uh, thing that you can walk us through as far as like an example of the exercise that you would encounter yeah. in that context? So real quick before I do that, you bring up a good point.
0: And, and I get so excited about this. I forget to talk about that point is that it is improv is the activity of doing it, but it's also a mindset. In order to do these activities, we have to have these shared agreements, and one of them is the concept of yes and, which means that you know if we're doing something and I present an, what is called an offer uh, on the, on the stage, you're not going to deny it or block it by saying no or yes, but you're going to accept it and say yes, and then you're going to say and and you're going to add a little bit on, and then with that, we're co-creating. We're creating something that neither one of us could have done independently. And that's one of the many improv mindsets. And I tell people once you start learning them, and and practicing them, you know, through you know these activities, you can't turn it off. It becomes who you are. Uh, one of my other favorite improv mindsets is uh, "we is greater than me," hmm. and and it's all about um, improv is an ensemble. You know, we we create this as a group. And yes, you know, when you see it on the stage, you know, you might look at it like, wow, that one person's super funny and, and this like little sketch or whatever is happening. In order for that person to rise and and be seen as funny, us as an ensemble, we need to create an environment where that can happen. And think about taking this into your team, you know, at, at work. Um, yes, there are some people that are, um, you know, considered like superstars that like maybe, you know, they're salespeople or this, that, and the other, they couldn't be where they are without the team. You know, we we all come together and, and whatnot. And so uh, an activity that gets people to understand that is just very simple. Um, you know, we say, all right, we're gonna plan a vacation. And one person, you know, does like a little tidbit, like, oh, you know, let's go to Tahiti. And then the next person is instructed to say yes, and then say, and, and then add just a little bit more, you know, like, oh yeah. Uh, and when we get to Tahiti, first thing that we got to do, you know, we got to go to the beach, you know, we got to put our feet into the ocean, you know, then the next person will iterate on that. Um, And, you know, it seems, you know, you know, very silly and and whatnot. But underneath the hood, we are conditioning, we are working and practicing, um, you know, being agreeable. We're working on deep listening. We're working on helping each other, um, you know, get from point A to point B. These are amazing skills that take so long to learn. However, if you can mask it in a fun game like this, you can get there a lot faster.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's the vitamins in the ice cream, right? <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or my yeah. mom, like growing up, she would put vegetables in the Mac and cheese.
1: Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Because then people are disarmed. They're yes. ready to engage. It's They're not open. this like, well, yeah, you're trying to push something on me. This is, you know, high stakes, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm um because who doesn't want to have fun right who doesn't want to laugh and um experience that type of pleasure and you know i think it makes me think of like even um like disney films and and a lot of animation where there's that deeper level right it's like um they're talking about one thing but really they're talking about something else too at the same time and they do it in such a way that you you're like oh all right. Okay. You know, like you get it. And then it's like, that was clever. That was good. And I was able to receive it because it wasn't so heavy handed, right? Yeah, Nobody wants actually, to be like, uh, yeah. you know, railed at and preached at and just kind of like, you know, forced into something. Um, but to be able to have something presented in a way that's more accessible and then dialogue about it, that is so much more valuable, right? Yeah. And so, so to that
0: point, that's what I love about the work that I do now is that we can do an activity, you can play a game. And we can start to talk about, all right, what was challenging about that? Or what did we learn? Um, and more importantly, how can we connect this to our day-to-day lives? Our brain's always trying to make connections. That's what our brain does. And just like what you said, because it's at first through the context of this game, it's easy for people to open up about it. Um, case in point, I was working with um the sales team and I was, you know, doing some of these fun, fun games, and we were doing this activity where um, I had them sort of walk around the space and I gave them different prompts and they had to respond based on the prompts. So one of the prompts was um, for that round, anytime they got close to someone, they had to ignore them, you know, heads down, ignore them. And then, and then another one, um, you know, act like, oh, they got cooties. And then another one, you know, just make eye contact and smile. And then uh, one is like, oh, you know, act like they're a best friend that you haven't seen in forever. So we will go through these different modes. And then afterwards we would talk about it. And, you know, uh, I was just asking a simple question of like, Oh, you know, what was familiar about that or what did you like or whatever the case. And a gentleman, he said, Oh, the ignore one. Oh yeah. I'm from New York. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. so, so common for me. Uh, yeah, that, that one felt more comfortable at home. I was like, Oh, cool. And I said, um, anyone else have another sort of point of view on that. And, and the gal, she raised her hand and she said, yeah, when we did that one, I felt so alone. I felt isolated. I felt like, you know, no one wanted me to be around. And then in that moment, uh, that gentleman who, um, uh, who said, oh yeah, that's like my default. He made a connection. He realized that is how he acts at work. Right. You know, he goes from his office you know, to the to the break room, to you know, he's heads out he's busy guy, and so then he came back, and he said, "Wow, you know what? I didn't realize that I and this person, high status, you know, in the organization, VP, you know, so um, uh, in in regards to power dynamics, you know, this person, you know, uh, high authority, and and he made this connection. He's like, I, you know, he's like, I didn't realize that I might be having effect." on the people around me at work, when I'm going straight from my office, you know, and beeline straight to the conference room or whatever, and and not making eye contact, I just, you know, I'm busy. So, you know, I have a lot on my mind and I didn't realize that it may affect the other people and how they think that I perceive them. And mm-hmm. so in that moment, you know, we had a teachable moment through a game that we weren't even talking about that. Mm-hmm. But again, we're intelligent beings, so we can make those connections And then we're able to discuss. All right, what are some other um, alternatives? What else? And and then he said, you know, then we, you know, he was like, oh yeah, you know, I should probably smile more. You know, you know, as I'm walking through, um, instead of you know thinking about the next thing I have to do, what if I'm just being in the moment and you know making eye contact and and smiling, and Mm. that all came from that person. Now imagine, like you said, you know, some other context, You know, hey, such and such. You know, you tend to be uh demeaning or whatever the case may be, you know, they may get defensive, like no, I'm what right. are you talking about? I'm not, you know. So this was the game. This was fun. This is and um, you know, very playful, but at the same time very serious because it has these uh this opportunity
1: uh for people to connect and and learn and grow. Yeah, yeah. I love that so much because it it's like putting people in a place where they're open. Yeah. And then when openness is there, possibility comes, revelation comes. Um, and it's not like you set out to have that outcome. That's just something that happened as a result of the activity you were doing. You couldn't plan for that, but nope. certainly in the moment, then you're able to step into that and steer that a little bit more specifically to have conversation around that, to open it up even further. So that's amazing. I love that. I love that. That's in even in that picture that you you shared is the the gem of improv and play at work. Um, Now in those contexts, I'm sure that you've probably had the people who are like the too cool for school. I'm not gonna engage. This is stupid. I'm here because my boss told me I had to be here kind of thing, right? How do you deal with that aspect in the room when maybe people are more willing to step into this place of play? Um, And what have you seen happen as a result? So first and foremost, I, I, I
0: tell people play is something that we're invited into. You can force someone into doing an activity, but it's not play for them. They may be Mm -hmm. doing it, but it's not play. You know, um, you can't coerce someone into playing. You know, they're, they're, you may be playing, but they're not playing. You know, they may be doing the motions and stuff like that. So the first thing that I do is I invite people into the space, Um, you know, as I set up our experience, I let people know, you know, I go through the agreements that I told you that are derived from improvisation. And one of the the big ones is, hey, take care of yourself. Um, Yes, um, you're going to be invited to step outside of your comfort zone. However, that is up to you. (laughs) I'm not going to force you to do something. If you, you know, don't want to do it. Hey, you know, it's all good. However, the invite is, you know, we're going to be doing some activities that you know, I think they're fun. I think they're, they're, you know, entertaining. Um, so that's the first thing, the first thing that I do. So I create that space where people can decide on their own. How am I going to show up? So that's, you know, step number one, creating an opportunity for them to step into the circle, to be part of the activity. Thing number two, like you said, it is very fun and playful. Um, emotions are contagious. So, you know, when everyone else are just like, you know, starting to light up and have fun, those people that are the naysayers with the cross, they, you know, seems like the outliers. Um, and oftentimes, you know, they sort of slowly like, oh, ooh. Uh, so that's the other thing is because of the uh, environment, they tend to shift, you know, towards positive, you know, that's just how we are as, as um, you know, as creatures, and you know, as humans and whatnot. But then the other thing is, How I do it is very simple. Like I start with very, very simple activities that are inviting people to do something very simple, very easy, and then the reward that they get, you know, the feedback that I give them is exponentially higher than that. So for example, one of the things that I love to start out with is a game called True For Me. This game can be done virtually, it can be done in person. All it is, I make statements, if it happens to be true for you, you um, you know, raise your hand or stand up, or if this is um, in a virtual environment, you turn your camera on and off, or you type in the chat, yep, that's me. And what happens in that moment is that people are seen. I'll make a statement like, Oh, you know, and and they start very silly. And then, you know, depending on the group, I might get a little bit more serious, but it's something like, Oh, hey, who's the oldest in in, you know, if, if you're the oldest in your family um you know you know and is that's true for you like raise your hand you know and then we we start to go through all kinds of things oh we're we're our morning you know uh morning early risers at you know night owls and, and stuff like that and then again just simple sort of activity like it's something that um uh you know introverts can do and and not really feel like the spotlights on them and then on top of that they're seeing their other colleagues and 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 I ask after that I'm like how many people learn something about the people you you interact with you work with that you didn't know prior to this and so many people again it's a simple activity and you will be surprised at the connections that is made very quickly and so that is the sort of easing them in mm-hmm. and then I slowly um you know uh invite them to do a little bit more invite them to do a little bit more until, you know, we're towards the end and people are, you know,
1: having a good time. Um, So yeah, that's, that's how, that's how I do it. Hmm. As a facilitator, I'm sure in these rooms, you're seeing people who are like more on the um, heartfelt, if you will, emotional end of things, that kind of processing and then other people who are much more analytical into stats and figures and numbers and things. do you have to prepare certain exercises that speak to each of those or or find things that are kind of like, uh, you know, like the thing you just mentioned, that's kind of more of a, um, it's simpler where it doesn't matter where you fall in those camps, but are there other exercises where you have to take into consideration how somebody's wired and how they're going to interact and what does that look like?
0: Yeah. um, I do from time to time. uh, But also it's how I invite people to respond um, to it. So you're absolutely right. Like some groups I've worked with, some uh, groups like engineers and and um, uh, programmers and things of that nature, they tend to be a little bit more analytical, um, you know, less animated, but believe it or not, um, they, they can still, you know, participate. It may require a little bit more from them as far as getting outside their comfort zone. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, it's more of an expectation. You know, my expectation is that we're creating a space where we can all learn. And it might be a little bit challenging. But at the end of the day, that I feel like the juice is worth the squeeze. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's one of those things of create when you create that, uh, I call it a brave space. You know, I, I know like we want to create safe spaces. But like when you create a safe space, that means that you're safe to not come up of your comfort zone. (laughs) And so a brave space is a thing where we have higher levels of psychological safety, where you can fail, where you can, you know, uh, fall down and and get back up and, and it's all good. Um, But in those situations, we can have a discussion where, you know what I've, you know, we've done some activities and some people, you know, have been open. like, yeah, this is really challenging for me. I I'm more analytical and uh, this, you know, really, (laughs) I had to work at this. All right, cool. Awesome and i like to say we come a play come from a place of non-judgment awareness it's neither good neither bad it is what it is um and so that is that um like as far as the space now how i curate and and put together these programs are based on what we want to do as far as overall outcomes and so mm-hmm. you know i'm thinking of that of like all right is this session more about uh confidence or communication or a mix of of a bunch of things and then that's how i'm going to um that's how I'm going to uh, you know,
1: put together the activities. Gotcha, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. So I'd love to shift gears just for a minute Please, and say, yeah. okay, so you as a person who's doing this facilitation, you're speaking, you're, you're looking for opportunities to do this. I'm sure there's challenges involved in um, how you speak to people who the, you need to get in touch with, who would hire you to come into these places, right? And especially again, at face value, it may be like play. Do we really want to bring someone in to talk about play? Like, so can you talk a little bit about like how have you had to learn how to market yourself or speak about what you do to people who may not, on face value, um, see the value in bring you in? Yes,
0: and so it's been a learning, um, uh, learning exercise for sure. And this gets into like how I got to where I am as I mentioned, my background is in marketing and communication. I always thought as far as my trajectory and career path, um, you know, because, you you know, like those social norms of like, Oh yeah, you get a good education, you get a good job and you sort of go up the ranks. And if you've ever played the game, the Sims, uh, which is a computer, (laughs) computer game, like where like people go on, like their like sort of journey of of being this, this, and this, I was on the quote unquote marketing executive career track. And it's, where well, I thought like, Oh, my sort of end game would be to run my own, um, agency. Um, and I found myself in a situation, uh, it was back in 2013, 2014, where at the time I was working for, a a really great spot. You know, um, I was managing a team. I really liked the work we were doing. And then an opportunity came about for me to, um, start an agency, uh, of my own, uh, the agency was already started, but I knew the people through an association and they were looking for someone with my skills to come on as um, a co-founder. And so I did that and it was, and I was bringing these skills of, of team building. Like that was my, my thing of growing the teams uh, and client strategy. Well, uh, we were in business for um, about four years, um, four years together. And then my uh, business partner ended up deciding that was his choice that we should go our separate ways. He had more of the business than I did. And so I found myself at a crossroads of what do I do now? Um, mm-hmm. It came unexpectedly. It wasn't anything that I planned for. And this was something that I was just doing as a hobby, doing for fun. You know, it, it brought me joy. And my, my wife, she was the one who actually, and it's funny how the people on the outside, they see things that we don't even see. And she was mentioning that, hey, you know gary like you should really double down on this like i i think this would be you know something that you would really um enjoy um and so i had to figure out how do i make this work and so at first yes i um you know i was hitting up my my uh network and these were people in the marketing um arena and the things that they were experiencing with things that i was experiencing back there you know um how do we keep our team engaged um we're burning ourselves out and i was like Hey, hey, yeah, they need this. <laughs> it's one of those things where, even though like you know, like deep down inside, you're like, oh yeah, I know I need this, but it doesn't seem logical, you know. Like we mm-hmm. said at the upfront of like, Ugh, how can I justify you know investing in this and and we're just playing for two hours, right? And so I'm like, okay, and then the whole concept of improv was kind of scary for some folks, um, and so then I had to. Uh, Um, You know, practice what I preach and listen. So I asked, I said, what sort of challenges are you, you know, are you facing, you know, how can I be of of service? And that's where I realized that, you know, it's the the whole Trojan horse game, you know, where we put the vegetables and ice cream, they were experiencing all of the things that these activities can um, assist with, Um, you know, Uh, improving uh, engagement? Uh, How can we help them be more innovative or creative and and things of that nature? And so that's how I started positioning it. It's, you know, as a trainer that are uh, focusing on these amazing human skills that we all, um, you know, need help with. And the whole concept, it's um, allowing them to practice it in a low stakes environment through experiential activities that will help them be more likely to Be able to perform at that level when the stakes are higher
1: Mm -hmm. right so it's in in essence you had to learn the language that they were speaking Mm -hmm. and contextualize your thing so that you're not coming in going like hey we're just gonna play games we're gonna do improv we're gonna do all this fun stuff Woo! right um you're you're tying it to solving some problems for them and speaking the language they speak so that they see the value in it right yes tying it to
0: business outcomes Right. And, and that was, uh, that was the start of like, Oh yeah. All right. Cool. Now, now, you know, they're like, yeah, now, now you're speaking my language. And then on top of that, then when it happens and it's fun, you know, it and, and you know, engaging, then I can like s- slowly, Hey, guess what? We're, we're playing, you know? Um, so I'm, and anyone who knows who I am, like they know that, Oh, Gary's the guy that is the evangelist for play, you know, that, you know, so, they get it, and they know that I'm positioning this in a way that makes sense, um, you know, for the business, and it allows them to justify investing in that, yeah. and and pulling their team, you know, away from the the work, you know, that they're mm-hmm. doing, um, and you know, knowing that because they're doing this investment, when they do get back to work. They're going to be that much more engaged and uh, productive. So, you know, the return on that investment is going to be extremely high. Hmm.
1: Do you find that there's a lot of pushback on like the separation of personal and professional when, when it comes to play and just talking about this stuff and people going, like, well, yeah. I mean, I understand it in the context of personal, obviously, you know, but professional, I, I don't know. Like, do they try and put it in, in boxes too much? And how do yep. you deal with that? um again meeting people where they are like
0: i totally hear you um it used to i i i think about my dad my my dad uh you know he was in the navy and then a- after he got out of the navy he uh went uh, to work for a company called lockheed martin and is very like separation <laughs> work and, and and whatnot he's like nope um and that again used to be the norm however i like to say what got you to where you are today is not necessarily going to get you to where you want to go. And I'm talking to like companies in, in general of, you know, we're facing the situation where the surgeon general is saying that loneliness is becoming an uh, epidemic where more and more people are lonely uh, than ever before experiencing burnouts at high rates. And if we had these deeper connections, it, it is the antidote for that, but it does require a different way of thinking and, um, you know, I just bring the research that shows that when people have confidence, um, you know, at work, uh, they're that much more engaged. Uh, they recover from um, you know setbacks that much faster. They're going to stay with the company that much more. So there's a lot of research that supports that. And and then we have to be realistic. You know, it's like, all right, you're not going to necessarily tell them everything, and they're not going to be like these confidence that you have, you know, outside of work. I'm just saying if you are allowed um you know to bring more of your authentic self to work and not be ridiculed for that it's going to be better for you and think about like how much time we spend at work it's Hmm. a good portion of our of our day of our lives why should we be
1: hiding a part of ourselves you know
0: you know at home
1: yeah do you address any of the the um personal aspects of play for people as well as professional. And like, I'm thinking, you know, you're talking about bringing these things into the workplace and letting people see a little bit more of you. But if really there's a root issue where the person's not playing at all, like even in their personal life, do you address that?
0: Well, yes, Uh, yes and no. So I, I, when I get the opportunity to talk about play, so I'm, I'm actually, I feel like I'm getting more and more of those opportunities because what we're addressing is burnout. Uh, a lot of companies are bringing me in to talk about that. And, you know, the reality is uh, your your personal life affects your work life and vice mm-hmm. versa. And so the the question is, and I talk about rest. So I, I use, use it through the context of rest. And I say uh, there are three types of rest. Uh, there's macro rest. So that's the amount of sleep that you're getting. And I'm not one to say that you need to get it eight hours, even though, yes, there's a lot of research that shows that I'm just saying whatever amount of rest you get, is it quality rest? And I, and I talk about like, you know, what's our, what's your wind down routine? You know, i have a six year old and he needs that like, all right, Hey Garrett, it's time to start getting for bed, you know, boom, boom, boom. But as adults, we forget about that, but it's so helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you going to do so that when you, when your head hits the pillow and you you go to sleep, that amount of time from when your eyes are closed to when it wakes up, it's the most restful so that you can do your best work. So, you know, that's the macro. And then the micro is um, you know, the things in between, you know, um, the work, you know, these these breaks. And most of the time, people they don't know what to do. <laughs> so they're mm-hmm. they're thinking like, oh, check an email. I'm like, nope, that doesn't count. Uh, you know, and so that's where we can have a conversation of what are the things that you do that brings you joy? And mm-hmm. how can you start to incorporate that? Uh, you know more into your day-to-day and then most people realize like you know just like what said in the beginning they have separate that as in they don't feel worthy of play because they didn't deserve it hmm. even though you should get it because it's going to help you you know when done through the sort of right sort of context and whatnot it's going to actually help you be more productive
1: hmm yeah,
0: um, yeah. and then the last one is uh, called Mezzo, and that is actually stepping away from the work and doing something that is creative or something that brings you joy. Um, we don't all have the luxury of being able to take six months sabbaticals. Um, however, we have to get a little bit creative. You know, what if it is, um you know some people during the summer, you know they have like summer summer Fridays where you know you have the luxury of of you know cutting out of the office a few few hours early. Um, You know, that's that's great. Um, But even if you don't have that, what are those hobbies that you're doing that are going to one you look forward to it? So when we have something to look forward to, we have high levels of uh, dopamine, um, which helps us uh, be creative and um, helps us stay positive. Um, But also it helps rejuvenate the brain. You have something other than your work (laughs) that you're thinking about. And you start to connect the dots. Um, And there was a study that I saw where they interviewed inventors and they found that inventors that had hobbies produced three times more inventions than those who didn't. And so, again, there is something that shows that when you have something that you do outside of work that brings you joy, you know, hobby, you know it's all playful to me you know like Mm -hmm. my definition of play is something that you do uh that brings you joy that you can just do regardless of the outcome yeah yeah and so um but yeah that's how i start to incorporate that into the conversation
1: got it that makes a lot of sense yeah and i'm sure that gives people a lot of places to go so that it's not just this cookie cutter answer of like well it has to look like this or it has to be this so yeah what does play look like for you i'm sure your work it feels like play just because the the pleasure in it. But aside from that, like, what does play really look like for you in your personal life?
0: Yes, and so I'm, I'm laughing because uh, I read something recently that uh, I, I guess I'm considered an elder millennial. Uh, I'm like on the cusp. I could be Gen X. I could be millennial. It depends on what chart you look at. But it said uh, it said millennials are the types that have hobbies that turn into side hustles and, and then they wonder why they don't have hobbies. Uh, and so for me, my initial hobby was improv. It was right. the thing that I, um, that I did, like I took classes, I performed, I still perform. I still consider that a hobby, but it's, it transformed into the work that I do. Um, but it's still, you know, a form of play, um, I live in San Diego and there's a, a local theater called Finest City Improv that I uh, perform and teach at. And it's my outlet. It's, you know, my way of sort of stepping away and for a period of time, not, you know, being completely immersed in that um, activity. It's it's amazing. In addition to that, I have a, you know, I have kids. I, I have a nine month old and a six year old. And I've, I'm finding um, as a parent that has limited amount of time um, that play. It looks a lot different. Um, I am considering play more of the how can I, um, you know, connect with my with my kids, and you know, I my thing is not necessarily to push the things that I like onto them to say, hey, dad likes this, you should like it too. If they happen to want to do that, that's great. Um, but if you know, if not, the end result is like, hey, how can we connect? And right now, um, my oldest is into basketball. Um, I never played basketball growing up. Um, well, not like from a league or anything, you know, every now and then, you know, we shoot hoops and stuff, but it's been fun learning together.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. And you know, you touched on something really important too, because the whole idea of uh, so many times we find ourselves pursuing something career-wise that is either solving our own problem. It's an interest that we got consumed with, and it becomes this, thing that moves from like, hey, this is a passion project of mine to this is now career or, um, you know, job. There's income attached to it. There's other expectations attached to it. And sometimes that can suck the joy out of the thing and then we don't have something to replace it and we're like Ugh. and then like you said if we get interested in something else then the, then the temptation is to be like oh well this can i can earn money with this i really enjoy this i want to do more of this I you know and round around and we go um so i think you even identifying like that speaking that out um calling it out and then also saying like here are the things that have nothing to do with anything related to work that could not be monetized you know no one's going to pay you to play with your kids, you know, yeah. nobody's going to pay, you know, like that kind of stuff. So I think it's really important that we identify areas like that that can remain untouched from even our best intention of, I want to do this because I love this. And the temptation of, mm, let's tip it over to side hustle, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Another thing that I am very interested in, and it was during uh, 2020, you know, during the pandemic where I start to bring that back was a magic. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the type of kid that loved um, at Disneyland going into the magic shop and and looking at all the tricks and then, you know, coming out uh, with one. And, and the goal wasn't necessarily to like run a magic show. It was just so cool just to, um, you know, to learn that and to have something that you sort of tinker and master. And so I was going uh, during the pandemic when essentially everything that I got booked for, like I canceled. Yeah. Uh, one, I had more time on my hands. And uh, then two, I needed something just to take my mind off of that. And and something, you know, again, practicing what I preach is like, all right, what's something, you know, that I used to enjoy doing when I was younger that I can bring back in some way, shape or form. And it was like, oh, yeah, magic. And so my, to your point, my goal wasn't ever to like, oh, I'm going to do a magic show. It was, I, and I quote, it was to be a crappy magician like you know (laughs) if you've seen arrested development you know sort of uh, the final countdown cue the song yeah and (laughs) And it's again you know and that took the pressure off of just like hey let me just enjoy this
1: Hmm. yeah yeah not everything has to be uh tied to money and to drive and achievement sometimes it's just pure enjoyment it's um the pleasure And I think we've lost so much of that today Um, to reclaim some of that. I think that's when we'll probably start to see other things happen in our lives that are addressing issues that are society wide right now. Like you said before, like loneliness and just feeling disconnected from other people and ourselves even, you know spend that time and that, and that attention. That's awesome. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your book that you yeah. have. Um, and so can you tell us like, why did you write this book? Like why now? Um, what's, what's the behind this book?
0: Yes. So the, the title of the book is called uh, the playful rebellion, um, how to maximize workplace success through the power of play. And the reason was, well, how it came to be is that I had a number of people who was curious about play and, and Sort of resparking that into their sort of lives, they didn't. They like, where do I start? I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I forgot how to play, and so I created this thirty day challenge that reintroduced people into play, and it was awesome. It was, you know, brought some of the science behind it, but it was really fun, bite size activities uh, that people can do. Um, and the the whole point about uh, the challenge was, you have a sort of status quo. Um, You have like a homeostasis and most people's homeostasis does not involve play and playfulness. Um, and so you're going to get, you know, that dissonance where you're starting to engage in these um, activities and your sort of brain and, and whatnot is going to be like, oh, this feels weird. And so that's why I called it the playful rebellion challenge, as in we have to rebel against, um, you know, the status quo. And also I'm a fan of Star Wars, so anything you know, <laughs> to, to incorporate that. So, but that was the whole point about that of rebelling, um, in a playful way, um, so that you can reap the benefits because your, your sort of body it is, is going to feel like, no, 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 I shouldn't do this. You know, I, am going to feel guilty or whatever the case might be. Um, and then I had people come up and say, is there a, a book attached to this? Because this was a great 30 day challenge, but you know, is there a resource? And so after, multiple people that <laughs> it, I like, maybe I, yeah, I should, I should write a book. I never set out to write a book. Some people are like, yeah, I'm going to be an author. I'm, gonna I'm like, that was just not my jam. Uh, however, um, I saw how it could be of support um, to someone. And, you know, that's one of the, I, I guess you can say one of my love language acts of service. And I, yeah, set out to write this book. And I got with an amazing editor um, that helped me write this book, because the thought of sitting down and like typing out, you know, 5000 words, you know, per day or something like that. It one, it just it made me cringe. And Mm -hmm. and I said, this is going to be a book about play. I need to make it playful. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so we found a playful approach for, uh, for me to write the book. And what we did was we we made a play date every week. Um, so we had the outline of the book. Um, it was based off of the challenge that I did. So a lot of the stuff was already done, but it's just filling in the gaps. And um, we would hop on Zoom and I would tell stories for, for about an hour. It will be recorded and then transcribed. And then my editor would give me challenges. Uh, and it was great because she didn't have the background that I did. So she was very curious and she was learning so she would ask follow up questions. And then I had a challenge for the week to go research that and and go get more info on that. And then we'll get back together and we would, um, you know, I would tell stories on that. And then that's how we got the the first draft of the manuscript done. Um, so, uh, again, me following my own um, my my own uh, advice. And, and how can we create a place of playfulness? Because I talk about this in the book that most people, they see the world as a proving ground mm-hmm. where they have to prove to themselves and to others that they're worthy. And when you see the world like that, you see others as competitors. Um, You know, you, you know, aren't necessarily going to, um, you know, you could be successful at that. You know, most people, you know, are a lot of people are but it comes at a sacrifice of like a lot Mm -hmm. of times stress and overwork and stuff like that and i beg the question of like what if we can see the world as a playground a playground of possibilities you know instead of seeing people as competitors we see them as playmates you know how can that be different you know how can we transform that uh you know the mundane into the playful and so that's you know what the book sets out to do is to to give you uh, a playbook uh you know uh
1: to help you um do that mm. i love that you were aware enough to go i'm writing about play my process needs to be playful <laughs> because otherwise there's the danger of killing play in the midst of trying to talk about it <laughs> right and i would hate
0: i would hate the book like imagine yeah. this like i i i go through all of this and it's just a miserable experience and then I come out with this thing and yes I, I wrote the book but then I'm just like so disgruntled about the whole thing.
1: <laughs> yeah I can imagine that version of the book. It's all like you know Times New Roman. Right. Or you know very bland gray, you know, just
0: <laughs> well so to that point. So after I finished the book and then um I I never published a book. So I was going down I went down the self-published route, made so many mistakes but learned so much. But I got the first uh, edition. It was sort of you know designed and whatnot. And it didn't seem playful at all. I was like,, oh, this this we need to change this. And so uh, I set out to find someone to help me design the book in a playful way. And the first thing I did, um I reached out to a friend of mine, uh, Sarah Moyle, and she's an amazing um, illustrator. So she agreed to um, read the book, and then um, I had some ideas of things that could be illustrated. And then she found some other uh, place to be illustrated and she hand drew um, all the illustrations in the book, which turned out amazing. And then um, uh, another friend of mine, uh, Beck, she is a, um, an illustrator, graphic designer, and she designed um, the layout of the book. And so, uh, yeah, the finished piece, I'm very proud of, um, you know, I felt like it was, yes, it all came together very nicely.
1: Mm. Love that. Love that. And that's even practicing what you were talking about as far as inviting other people in with their skill sets and, and, and allowing them to play and yes. do, oh, well, we could do this instead of this, you know, um, and when people are really into that, then you're tapping into everybody's giftings uh, and yes. everybody wins. Yeah. yeah, And we're yes ending as going mm-hmm. back to the the
0: whole spirit of improv.
1: Yeah. Love it. Love it. We've come full circle. I love it. We did. Yay. <laughs> awesome. Man, this has been such a great conversation. And, um, you know, the thing, too, I appreciate about you, Gary, is that it's very accessible how you talk about this and very thoughtful and not, like, zany, right? Because I think some people could think, oh, this guy's going to talk about play. Is he going to come out with, like, a clown nose and, like, you know, Krusty the Clown or something? Like, you know what I mean? Like, there could be that aspect of people bracing themselves, going, you know, but here you are. And you're like, no, let's just talk about this at, at such a level that's simple, accessible, um, and dropping in some science, dropping in some, some of the research, and saying it's important. Um, and so thank you for that. Thank you for your voice in that. Thank you for the work that you're doing, because I think it's important. And I think it's more important than a lot of people even realize. And so to be in those conversations, to engage with that, because you've engaged with it yourself first, obviously. And then teaching other people through these skills. Um, You're making a difference in the world. So thank you. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, it means a lot to me. Uh, Thank you for reflecting that back. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before we wrap, where can people find you? Where can they find your book? Lay some links on us.
0: Yeah. So if you're listening and you're like, wow, I'm really curious about this, this Gary guy, this play, this play stuff. You can go to my website, Breakthroughplay.com. That's where you can find my book. Uh, that's where you can find resources and and other things about the power of play if you're on the social medias uh i am on instagram mostly at gary where um i'm also on linkedin yeah say hi let me know what you thought uh, of the episode and and yeah, you know, let's chat about um how
1: you can uh embrace play more absolutely and i highly challenge people take gary up on that because you will not regret it so gary thank you so much again for today my pleasure thank you mike